0: You're listening to the World Football Programme with all the latest updates from both local and international football.
1: Welcome to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. It's Saturday, August the seventh, and as always there's lots of football happening and there's going to be lots of talk about it. Good morning, Pete. Morning, Pen. You got myself Penny Tanner Hoth, and Pete Skeeler in the studio today. How'd I do with that, Pete? Close. Oh, far out, man. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Thank you for listening in. Really do appreciate it. We'll be here for the next two hours talking football. Our guest lineup today includes Mum FC Stately Division 2 coach, Tacky Nicolaitis. We'll be talking to Derek Pollock about movement of Australians into European football and how COVID uh, transfers, effects on wages, etc. is uh, happening. Vince Matassa, former Perth Glory goalkeeper, what is he up to these days? And Tom Somani, who's in quarantine in Sydney. And
2: probably climbing the walls for something to do, so I'm sure he'll be happy to speak with us.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of streaming services and <laughs> reflections on lots of Olympic Games and how we can move forward into the next uh, set of fixes, which will be leading into the Women's World Cup. and yeah, which, the, which is
2: kicking off very, very soon, the it, qualifying.
1: It is. Um, yeah, the, the turn from... Olympics to Women's World Cup. As, as with not just
2: the Women's World Cup, Men's uh, World Cup qualifying starts next month as well. The next round, so
1: Yep. lots of football just
2: doesn't stop.
1: Never stops. And good luck to everybody who's playing in their cup games and league games and whatever other football is happening today and tomorrow. Yep. Hopefully, you can avoid rain and hail and whatever else is I impending. I think
3: the
2: forecast's not looking great for this weekend. Unfortunately, we had our two days of sunshine, and now we're back to misery again
1: been pretty awesome, I have to say. Yeah, last week was a a bit of a shocker. There was hail and bits and pieces across the Sunday and uh, I know that Rose, my daughter, was playing down the road and she got hail and (laughs) I was playing at the other side and there was sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty happy with that. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening into the program. You can land on our Facebook page and comment away or share your news, give shouts out to people that you think deserve being shouted about, (coughs) club news. In the nicest kind of way, Pete.
2: Okay, fair enough.
1: Yep. Um, Happy to promote anything at your club that you think other clubs will benefit from as well. Mm. Great ideas are always welcome to be shared. Um, Very big thank you, of course, to all of our partners that help us through the year of football banter. We'll be on air till the end of November and then back in February. As per usual, yes, we do need a break. Yep. It's a, a long football season. And, and there's
2: we... no right time to take a break because there's no. no break from football.
1: No, that's right. So you just uh, have to deal with it and, unless we expand the team, of course. Now, now there's a thought. If we expanded the world football team and we had a few more hosts...
2: Yeah. Are you putting the call out now for
3: hosts? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy with that. I'd be happy to raise a bit more funds, get a, a few more members on board and we could, yeah, pay for some more studio time and keep on going. I'd be happy with that. Yep. We could take breaks. And so if
2: anyone's listening and they yeah. sort of into the radio board, is that what you're saying? You're, I am, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to put words in your mouth. I don't want you yeah. to Yeah, and start, I'm not looking getting... at you
1: and saying, Pete, upskill yourself or anything like that. No, I'm
2: glad because <laughs> that's just going straight <laughs> over my head anyway.
1: I know it. I know it. So thank you very much to Futsal WA, Greg Farrell. Appreciate all of the support there. Um, the new turnaround from West Coast Futsal into Futsal WA I hope has been very beneficial and positive for the organisation and the leagues are underway full on. Oswest Fencing and wrought Iron for custom-built fencing and gates. Gate and Fence Hardware WA for all the components to build fencing and gates and automation. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the World Football Program. We really do appreciate it. And my fine team of members that you listen to every Saturday morning. Pete and myself here till 12. Uh, just a little bit of a reflection on the week in football, Pete, for yourself. What's been outstanding for you?
2: Well, obviously the Matildas mm-hmm. um, making the, the bronze medal match. Uh, and we discussed <laughs> this off air and you can put a positive sheen on it, you can put a negative sheen on it. You know, One way you could say, well, we played six matches and only managed to win one of them in re- 90 minutes, and that was New Zealand. But on the other hand, that was, in my opinion, the New Zealand game was probably our least impressive and although we went down 4-2 to Sweden and and 2-1 then to, uh, sorry, 1-0 to the Sweden again then in the semifinals, both of those games, the, the girls were outstanding. Um, I have to confess, I only caught bits and pieces of the bronze medal match because I was on the train on the way home at the time and am watching on my phone and then we hit the tunnel at Perth and it all drops out for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was 4-2 when I tuned out, when I sort of got my signal back, we were a... The game was over and it was four three. So it was nice to see we did get one at the end, get one last one. And four three is a you know an honourable loss.
1: I've liked the way people have been engaging about the Olympics. I've watched some other sports,
2: yep.
1: sports I didn't even think were Olympic sports. Um, the I've, BMX
2: was fantastic. That bloke that won gold, what a ride that was.
1: Was he Australian? Yeah, cool. Yeah. very good. Yeah, I watched <laughs> I don't laugh, synchronized swimming, <laughs> and um, you know what I thought? I thought of that movie Babe with the pig. And there was a synchronized pig swimming in that, and I, I, I just laughed. And I'm sorry, but the synchronized swimming was actually amazing. The fact that they can do that stuff in the water was very athletic and strong. I'm very impressed. Water polo uh, athletes too. I'm water polo's very impressed yeah, an impressive one.
2: Uh, the the girls in the um, the beach volleyball that got silver, I think. I watched the game where they knocked out Canada, and Canada were ranked number one in the world, and they. That was a fantastic result.
1: Was this our last shot at getting cracking the eighteen gold?
2: Uh, I think the the final was two nights ago. So I don't know if we've still got people um, competing at the moment for things. Last last I checked, we were sitting quite high up the ladder.
1: We were like set- ahead
2: of Russia, which n- normally never happens. Yeah, uh,
1: China were on top with thirty three uh, gold. Gold. USA, 29. Japan, 21. And we we're on 17. That 17. was as of yesterday. Yep. The overall medal tally count for the Olympics was China on 73, so that's gold, silver and bronze. Yep. And USA was 90. Japan okay. was 44. Australia was So that 40. was
2: yesterday? No, we've slid yeah. down. So Russia and Great Britain no. have jumped ahead of us now.
1: Okay. So we're still
2: on 17. Russia's on 17 as well, but more silvers.
1: Okay. So we've equaled our highest tally of gold ever. Yep. So I don't know what other events we can possibly get gold in if there's any more um, so we'll just uh, see how it goes yeah. I don't know how many more days of the Olympics are, are left uh, at...
2: I think it's like two days or so Yeah, okay so, so Sunday's the closing ceremony
1: Can't let fine then, aren't we? Mm. Well, we're going to go to a break And come back and chat more football Of course, this is the world football team Penn and Pete on the world football program Stay with us 107.9 FM Your local station
3: 107.9 FM. Oh.
4: Give me land, lots of land under
5: starry skies above. Don't fence me in.
1: Oswest Fencing and Rotaryan. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials, and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond aluminium, steel, and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au. That's A U S W E S T fencing.com.au.
6: West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport at all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues pathways to academies, and elite club competitions, and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual, or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's, or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport, and the fastest-growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at futsalwa.org.au or via our website, au.
1: Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix Make and secure your gates and fences Friendly staff and family Offer advice to help your project along Or order in your special part Gate and Fence Hardware
2: WA Station sponsor
1: Welcome back to the World Football Program Off-air discussion about Futsal being in the Olympics That's an interesting one, right?
2: That I'd love to see
1: Yeah, yeah, I could see that happening Hmm I wonder why that hasn't been pushed. haven't even heard anyone discuss that possible option. Tacky, what do you reckon? Futsal in the Olympics.
7: Uh, firm yes for me.
1: Okay. Cool. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll try. Why and... not? Yeah. Absolutely, why not? Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about all the other variations of sport. Well, uh, running 100 metres, 200 metres, 1,500 metres, yep. and then indoor volleyball, beach volleyball.
2: Yep. Yeah. Basketball and three-on-three three basketball is new at the Olympics as well.
1: Cool. So. Can you imagine yeah, the numbers? Well, it is, it is.
7: The way I see it, it is, a, it is a sport on its own as well. So yeah, um, you've got know, your BMX as well and rock climbing and whatever else they've uh, introduced that uh, this year. So I, so I don't see why not. They can't expand it to football, uh, yeah, uh, which is uh, quite commonly played right through uh, the world.
3: Yeah,
1: can you imagine the numbers post Olympics? The interest in those new sports. And I used to think BMX in the sport synchronised swimming in the sport. Come on. (laughs) But, you know, watching it in this Olympics has opened my eyes a little bit to the skill and the effort and motivation and everything, the resource and everything that goes into playing or competing at that level. And I've appreciated it a lot more.
2: It's also worth mentioning in the really old Olympics, back around 1900, tug of war, painting and poetry were also (laughs) events. So, So things have changed. Some sports... I use the term sports, Lucy, have dropped out. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing tug-of-war. That would be funny to
7: see.
1: Tacky, I just just have to say my offsider in the studio today, Pete, is full of all kinds of useless information. <laughs> 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 at
7: least credit for him. At least he's uh,
1: thinking outside the box. Yeah, Good. cool. Thank you, there. Yeah. Okay, we'll work on all those things for the next Olympics, <laughs> and every guest that we have that we can possibly put a little edge into it, we'll mention that to him and see where that goes. Yeah.
7: Well, You've got three years, so...
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: Okay. And uh, the other thing with, with um, futsal is also we're used to sort of the, the usual teams, shall we say, for normal football, you know, your Brazils, your Argentinas, your Germany. If you look at the futsal World Cup, which doesn't get a lot of coverage here, you see a lot of other teams that aren't big names at, at normal football suddenly rocket up there. Thailand's a big team. Ireland, uh, sorry, um, Iran's a big team. So it would actually be quite interesting from a football perspective to see other teams suddenly being the big teams as opposed to the ones we know. You know, you are Brazil's yeah. Argentinas and the like.
1: Yep. Yeah, I bet the figures for the Olympics, and I don't know what they are, um, have been absolutely through the roof this year. Are you going to tell me you know them?
2: Apparently NBC in the US has been disappointed. They've been down several million on the previous Olympics. No way. Quite surprisingly, yeah.
1: Okay. But that's nothing to do... with the Matildas because the Matildas have outstripped all of their expectations. in the
2: US and I just know that they were disappointed with their results.
1: Wow, that surprises me greatly. Hmm. Okay, over to the local football. Tacky, welcome to the program today. We appreciate you joining us. Um, Give us a little bit of a a resume of the Tacky Nicolaitis uh, coaching portfolio. Oh, gee.
3: (laughs) How
7: long have you got? Um, (laughs) Yeah, so when I finished playing um, you know, senior football um, 19 years ago, it was now, I had a, a, a close friend involved, Michael Rocky, who was the head coach of Athena at the time, and um, he'd just taken over and he had an assistant, but then uh, his assistant had moved, moved into a different role work-wise and an opportunity came up there. And you know, having been a an Athena junior uh, and obviously playing uh, yeah, Ten years uh, with the first team at, at Athena, uh, and, and the relationship I had with Michael, Michael um, threw out a lifeline straight after I finished playing. And asked me if I was interested to in come down and helping him out as an assistant, and um, at Athena, which you know I was more than happy to get involved back at uh, the club that I grew up with, and um, yeah, spent nine, you know, re- rebuilt. Cause I think we finished tenth that year. Um, and pretty much no money at the club and, you know, trying to get things back on track, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, by the end of, the our tenure there, I think, um, after the third season or fourth season, uh, we've won the league undefeated with, a, an average age of, you know, I think it was just over 21. Um, we've won the cup the following year and, uh, and top four. And, uh, yeah, at, at, nine years with, um, sorry, seven years with Michael Rocky. And then, uh, Uncley Busch took over as, as the head coach, and I had uh, two seasons with him um, uh, as his assistant. And then come into season, Uncley uh, wanted to go in a different direction as did the club. Um, and then the club went uh, straight away and appointed uh, Chris Barber as the, as the head coach. And uh, I was left on, on the outer uh, until I got a uh, uh, an invitation by Perth to to meet up with them and. Uh, They'd asked me about four, maybe even five times to take over their uh, 20s squad. And I said, no, you know, I I just wanted a break. And then got a phone call from Gianfranco Sicardi, who was the head coach at the time. uh, And that was uh, the deal breaker for me. And, um, yeah, I took the job and spent 18 months coaching the 20s there. And we had quite a bit of success um, winning the, the league, top four, getting the cup final. Uh, that season. I think we went through 34 games undefeated, um, and then Big Mara was the head coach at the time, and then when uh, he parted ways with first, uh, with they've asked me to come in as a interim coach And then, uh, for the first team, and then asked me to uh, take over until the end of the year and come into season. They've uh, asked me to continue for the following season. Um, Got uh, second in the league, I think it was the last game of the season. I think we were two points behind, or one point behind Basie. They um, they won their game, we drew our game, and that was the difference between winning and losing the league. Mm. And then the following season, uh, which ended up being my last season, we finished second um, to, to to Basie again in the league. Made our cup final, FA Cup, against um, Rockdale in Sydney. Um, and that was it. And then, not long after that, Michael Garcia, uh, got in contact with me about going to Inglewood, ended up, um, joining Inglewood. Uh, and then during the night series, uh, Michael resigned. Uh, then I was off at the first team gig. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, uh, we went through at a, at a, at a cup, um, uh, Cup semi-final. Uh, and got trounced by Zina, um, got to the last game of the season again and got beat by ECU, who were on a, on a good run at the time and, and first one, and they ended up uh, jumping us and winning the league and we ended up uh, losing penalties in the top four playoffs and yeah, had a reasonable season uh, first up there and then second season and um, didn't quite go... As, uh, as the club, as England, uh, had planned. I think we were about six at the time where the club, uh, decided they want to go in a different, different direction. And I started company and then, uh, set the season out, went and watched a few games and had plenty of time up my sleeve, which, um, was, was invaluable. And, uh, not long after that, during the night series, uh, I got a phone call from Wellup to, um, to join them. Um, and spent two and a half uh, good years there and as you all know that that sort of uh, finished up uh, a couple of months ago so since then uh, I had uh, Mark Jones uh, who I'm close friend with um, and Matt Waddell who was uh, the head coach at Melville asked me if I'd come down and help out which I was more than happy to uh, because I've got good relationships with both of them and Yeah, Matt. uh, Matt moved on uh, a few weeks ago, and i was um, at Melbourne until the end of the season, and and see what happens then.
1: So, to wrap all of that, an impressive coaching resume. What do you attribute your success as a coach to? I
5: think
7: some of it is, or a lot of it is experience. Um, What I went through as a player and what I learned as a player, and I must admit, it wasn't until uh, I got into coaching that I actually appreciated. Um, what all my previous coaches that I had as a player, uh, I appreciated their role, their job, and their, their guidance even more than what I did um, while I was playing. I remember having a, a good long chat with Mickey Brennan one day. And um, I, I think I, him and I I, remember him dropping me one game and I you know, had a bit of a sulk and all that. And, and, uh, and I apologised. Um, you know, uh, when, when I was chatting with him he said oh, I don't even remember that uh, and I said I, I, I was wrong, I was out of order and, uh, and I said I now appreciate your role and what you guys have done as, as coaches uh, a lot more um, now that I'm in the coaching ranks rather than when I was a player and, and for me I think a lot of it is, is learning and wanting to continue to learn I, you know, I like listening to, to people that have done more or achieved what they've achieved as a coach and you know, I've taken some 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 good points or a lot of good points to all those coaches that I've played under but also uh, other coaches that I've sort of you know um, been friends with and just you know continuing wanting to learn and I think a, a big thing these days is, is more the player management uh, yeah. and understanding that you know not everyone is, has got the same persona and all the same personality and um, you know some people need Need a, a hug and a cuddle to get the best out of him. Others need a, <laughs> you know, a, 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 a firm talking to to get the best out of him and and to get a reaction. And that you got to understand your players. But I think more um, so nowadays, um, you know football isn't a priority for for everyone like it used to be back when I was growing up. And um, you know they do have family and jobs and you know other interests in in life uh, outside um, you know, football, which which. I, I, I get, I understand. Uh, it's not exactly what I have been brought up and and uh, and, and and learned and developed uh, um, with as, as I was growing up, I guess. But um, that's something that I've had to adjust uh, as a coach. But yeah, uh, I think player management is a is a big thing as well.
1: Last week we had a chat to Graham Normanton, who's coaching out at Forestfield, mm-hmm. and um, we started talking about the coaching philosophy, and he. Uh, you know, he's not a mamby-pamby kind of guy <laughs> and uh, and he said uh, you know, all this um, participation medals, etc like just, the kids want to win, they know how many goals, yeah. just, uh, you know, we've got to instil in them a competitive nature from a, a younger age, I think that that's what he was trying to say, so that when they are going for a youth football, they've got that competitive edge and the willingness to want to win and to, to do what they need to do. What do you think about that, Tacky? I don't disagree
7: with that, um, and yeah, no, I've I was brought up that way as well and um, I hate losing uh, even, well, play uh ball with the kids or anything, I, I, I hate losing myself, so I think that was instilled by um, my childhood, where again, it wasn't a participation award, it was like, you, you get a medal for winning and that's it, yeah. uh, so there's no acknowledgement for, for participation. We're all participating, but I think we all need to, to learn the value of winning and, mm. and, uh, and, 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 and by losing, it, me, that's also a lesson to, to improve or to want to improve, to then become uh, a winner. And you know, next time you're you're in a league or a cup final or, or whatever it is, uh, you, you, you've learned from your mistakes and you you, you want to get better. And I think that's the only way that you know, we as humans uh, can, can and should improve.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, failing is as important as winning. Um, it's how that you fail and then learn from that. Um, it's all about life, isn't
7: yep. it? Um, no, and that's, that's in all, all works of life as, absolutely. as well, yep. whether it's relationships or, or you know, um, you know, work um, situations, uh, it's all the same, same or similar principles.
1: Yep. Now, State League Division 2 is a very different beast to NPL football where mm. you've come from. Uh, what did Mum FC, uh, what what was required by Mum FC to entice you into the Division 2? Oh, look, <laughs> um, I think as I said before, you know,
7: obviously when I'd finished up at um, Grower, that left quite a, a, a bit of taste in my mouth there, uh, and I was more than happy to, to have a break and, and uh, similar to what I did when finished up at Ingwood. Um, but uh, yeah, as I said, I've I've uh, um, got a very very close relationship with, with Mark Jones and uh, obviously when there was an opportunity with um, uh, with Matt Waddle, uh, Matt got in contact with me and said about this situation, uh, I need someone to come and help, uh, I, you know, and as I've known him since, since childhood, um, so I said I was more than happy to come down and help him without uh, a formal uh, agreement or commitment. So I was happy to come down And um, one one thing led to another And yeah, I'm still there A couple of months later um, There has been different I'm not going to deny that uh, But uh, uh, there's there's plenty
3: of positives
1: That's for sure Mm. Yeah, at the moment The club is sitting mid-table In the State League Division 2 Four
2: wins in a row Oh, that's,
3: that's good.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. I, 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 if you didn't know, Mum FC is my club, so I'm going to be totally, <laughs> totally biased. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Uh, <clears throat> yep, that's okay. Um, so sitting fifth on the table at the moment, round 17, playing against Karama this this week, who are sitting ninth in the table. Um, how do you see the season panning out with you sitting in the the coaching role? It, is, is there some changes that, You've instigated that you think Will take the team or the squad Into a little bit of a different direction Than the first part of the season
7: Um, I don't For me I I, I know I had a a good chat with the the playing group On on Tuesday Uh, Mm -hmm. And for me It it, it comes down to mentality and attitude I don't And being straight up I don't think I've done anything different Than what Matt was doing coaching wise uh, In terms of training sessions team selections and, and all that. I don't think I've done anything different, but I, I do think that, obviously, yeah, with that moving on and, and coming in, I, I have noticed that the attitude uh, has, has, has changed, so, and, um, and I think, obviously, when you, yeah, you're winning, uh, your mindset does change as well, and you know, at the moment, uh, yeah, we have one four in a row, um, but I, I do think that the attitude has, has definitely improved, and and when you are winning um, you know, It's a lot more enjoyable Rocking up the training It's a lot more enjoyable When you look forward to The games on a Saturday Than what it is When you're you know, just losing Or, yeah, or, or drawing um, or, or being inconsistent One win one loss I think So um, I think As I said The talent there To, to finish The top uh, top four And, and make the playoffs The um, me it's about The attitude And the application And you know, I praise them On On um, on Tuesday night, then we, then on Thursday we, we, we were quite sloppy. So I don't, I'm not sure if I should be doing that again. But, um, but yeah, for, for me, it's, 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 it, there is some some really good uh, talent at uh, at Melbourne, and um, you know my expectation is that to make the playoffs and continue the good work. But you know, we've, to continue the good work, you've got to stick to your principles and you've got to keep working hard. And that that's one thing that I definitely have been. Drilling into the playing group, you know, we can't get complacent. Yeah, just because we've won four games, just doesn't mean that the loss uh, is going to be this week or, or next week. You know, everyone everyone wants to beat you. You now become the hunters, uh, whereas before, when you're losing, yeah, you're, you're hunting uh, yeah, the teams above you to um, to get points off them.
1: What um, What do you think about the club environment with the stadium and the facilities? There is that. Um, something similar to other clubs that you've been at or different and does that make any difference to the, the way you coach, the commitment of the the players, the resources that are available to you and the players
7: Yeah, oh, look it's um, very different to what I've come from in, um, right recently but you know, I've been lucky enough, I've been at uh, Athena for, for nine years I had four years at first and and a uh, year and a half at Ingwood where, you know, the, the stadiums, you know, they've got a good stadium, good club room. Uh, training facilities are good, you know, being able to train on the main pitch. Um, I know things were a little bit different at, at Gwela, but it was a breath of fresh air. Um, and coming to Melbourne and then sort of having that facility there where got shared with all the, all the gear, you know, 10 metres from the training field and um, the lights are fantastic, the surface. Obviously being synthetic, um, you know, it's going to be you know, consistent right, right the way through and you, know, you don't have to change your, your, your training sessions or anything all like that to accommodate uh, where you're training. You know, you're know, you on a, a good pitch with excellent lighting uh, and for me it has been a, a breath of fresh air uh, being able to train on a senator like that um, you know, consistently. You're able to work on a lot more things um, and I think from the players' point of view um, yeah, they look forward more to training in uh, on a good pitch and good facility than what it is when you, you know, try to get at parts, etc, I guess
1: Last year, the we'll call it the COVID year was a bit of a crazy year in terms of uh, fixturing I'm pretty sure Mum FC finished in the top two of the State League division They
7: finished on top, actually
1: Okay, there you go I'm very happy My, about minor that.
7: Previous, previous, <laughs> if you going to call that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I think, and then they sort of bit, bit like Western Knights, I guess. They finished on top uh, of their uh, thing, but then didn't didn't uh, didn't make the, the top four, top six playoffs after that.
2: Yeah, I think wasn't wasn't last top year fourth, they, right? they they had the rule saying unfortunately that um, there's going to be no promotion relegation.
1: That's right. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, Tacky, given that last year was a great year for the club, what was different about last year to this year? Do you know? Oh, I
7: can't comment on last year because I wasn't there. Um, yeah, unfair for me to comment about last year because I, I wasn't there. Um, but, yeah, all I can pretty much comment about is, you know, what we are at the moment and what, uh, what we're, we're hoping for and planning for. But, uh, yeah, it's unfair for me to comment. The sure. Difference between last year and sure. this year, because yeah, I wasn't actively involved uh, with Melbourne then. But you know, the focus at the moment is to, to get enough points, or enough wins, or enough points to, to make the playoffs. And um, obviously, with Dinella being so far ahead, with uh, the great squad that they've put together, um, and we want to try and get uh, promoted by the uh, by the playoffs. But uh, yep. yeah, we've got to get there
1: first. Yep, and just to let everybody know, Tacky referring to the table there, so Dinella's sitting on top with 46 points over
2: Absolutely running Eve, away with 32. It, yeah. So there's
1: a fair difference there between Dinella and the rest of the table. And Dave Kindness has messaged in and said good morning to all and to Tacky. Uh, everybody knows Dave. He's the man at the club. Good lad. Thanks for listening in, Dave. Uh, and just moving across to the State League Division 1 sitting on top there is Sterling Macedonia, 43 points over Western Knights. Pete, that's a pretty big whack as well. It is. It yeah. is.
2: Not, well, they've had a loss, and Dianella haven't lost yet in 16 matches, so
1: that's yeah. the
2: difference. Well, that's that's a slight difference. Yeah,
1: slight. Yeah. Very good. Uh, and just before we let you go, uh, Tacky, just uh, rounding off with the NPL, um, Pete Fixtures, Today,
2: uh, Yeah, so for the NPL fixtures today, uh, Perth is hosting Armadale. Florida Athena uh, hosting Guelup well Croatia. Tacky has a couple of names there for you. Um, Bayswater against Coburn, Perth Glory against ECU Joondalup, Sorrento travelling to Balcata, and Rockingham City playing host to Inglewood United.
1: And sitting on top of the table is Perth Soccer Club over Florid, only one point at Yes, the I think,
2: from memory, I think Florid was quite a way ahead. They seem to have just stumbled a little bit. Uh, and and open the door for Perth to climb up there, and Sorrento just behind them as well.
1: Yeah, some um, pretty amazing um, differences in the first and second division there. But uh, good luck in your game against camera today. Um, ninth versus fifth place. Um, welcome to the Fold Tacky. It's good to have you aboard, and thanks for joining us. Really do appreciate the chat. No, my pleasure. And
7: uh, yeah, I'm enjoying my, my time down in Melbourne, and uh, they have been very good. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can. Continue the good work and, and make the playoffs, and uh, yeah, have, have a, a, an impact at the right time of the season. But, uh, um, but they take things all, you know, one game at a time, and same focus is uh, yeah, going uh, up to camera and the camera are a, a very good side. Uh, I know they've been a bit, a bit inconsistent uh, this year, but they're uh, a very good side and coached um, uh, very well. So yeah, we've got to be at our, our best and. As I keep saying, our attitude's got to be first half this week. Otherwise, that's will a long, long drive home if, uh, if we don't come away with the three points.
1: <laughs> Indeed, there's a few long drives in the local Perth competitions, which, well, I should say, West Australian competitions, yeah. because June up down to Mandurah or Bunbury sometimes is not really local. <laughs> there you go. We love it. Good on you, Tacky. Yeah. Have you have a My great pleasure. weekend?
7: Thanks, thanks, thanks for your support. See ya. Thanks, Tacky. Thank you. Bye.
1: That was the coach of Mum FC State League Division Two, That's sitting right. fifth. on the Currently table, fifth,
2: though. and and the um, the top team, who's let's be honest, it's going to be Dianella White Eagles, uh, will promote to to the first division, and then the following three spots go into a playoff with second last from the first division for the other first division spot. So currently Murdoch Uni Melville just outside on goal difference from getting into those playoffs.
1: That's right. So 46, 32, 30, 29 and 29. 29. So
2: Wanneroo City are currently edging them just with, by three better on the goal difference. Yep. But I'm sure, obviously, Tacky's aiming to get up there and, and try to then get into first div.
1: Yep. I like his style. Very calm character. Yep. I like his coaching philosophy too about uh, play management and taking on board Reflections and feedback and uh, it's interesting talking to the different coaches talking to Graham Normanton last week. I like Graham He's uh, always up front about you know how it is and um, he's got a definite coaching style and uh, Yeah, yes yep. Landed a, a good club in Forestville. There's got a good infrastructure and good size. Got uh, you know pathways there. Same with mum FC. It's a huge club, so you got pathways. You have got players coming through. That's, that's true. You that's want that's, as a that's coach.
2: what want. yeah development. Mm. Just uh, just going back to the uh, ratings. Apparently the in, so again this is in the US. Um, their TV audience is down by forty five percent from the Rio Olympics. And hang prime on, hang on. did you
1: say US?
2: In the US, US,
1: yes. And where did US finish? Hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, no,
2: this is for all sports, not just, okay, there's, there's all right, more right. than just football. Okay, and there is a size for live, for, for prime Come time, on. they're down by 51%. So, literally half the viewership than they were getting five years ago. Um, wow. Partly comes down to streaming. So, they, their streaming is going up. Uh, but, yeah, it's still, I think overall, it's still a loss for NBC. Are
1: you able to find the figures for the bronze medal match? For the Matildas, the, the ratings.
2: Yeah, normally they'll, they'll they will be announced by one point eight
1: million, I think was um, their... the
2: Matildas, like we see it all pop up on Facebook as soon as they say. So I I would assume if we haven't seen it pop up on Facebook, they haven't been released yet.
1: Okay, yeah, I think it was something like uh, one point one point eight million. No, one point five million when Australia played Sweden. Yeah. Yeah, so we're hoping to crack that number and go upwards. We are going to go to break and come back and talk more football, of course. This is Penn and Pete on the World Football Program. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. We'll be back very shortly. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9.
0: The World Football Programme is a community programme run by volunteers, just like our host station, Radio Fremantle, applies for government grants and sponsorships from year to year to keep us on air. Your support by way of station membership or donation is greatly valued. Contact Radio Fremantle weekdays 94942100 for information on how to become a member or to donate to the station. Thanks for your support. For football's sake... For the sake
2: of our registered players, there's 37,000 of them. For the sake of the game.
0: For the sake of
7: the dozens of high achievers who are already flying the WA flag in the world's best
8: football leagues.
1: For the sake of our visitors from Asia and beyond whose cultures are woven through football.
8: For the sake of Perth glory, the state's A-League team which aims to inspire the next generation.
1: For the sake of the mums and the dads, the fans, the followers, and the football faithful who are steeped in the most popular sport on the planet. Football needs a home. Football deserves a home. Every family needs a home. For football's sake.
3: We are one, but we are many.
1: Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penn and Pete in the studio this morning talking more football. Our guest right now is Derek Pollock. Good morning, Derek. How are you?
8: Yeah, good. Thanks, Penny and Pete. How are you guys?
1: Good. Very well. Excellent. Glad to have a very happy, clear line there. Um, how's the Olympics panning out for yourself? Any surprises? Uh,
8: not no. Really any surprises other than um, Australia beating Argentina in the first men's game. Um, other than that, and then I was losing to Egypt, but other than those two, uh, there wasn't any massive surprises, I don't think. It'd uh, be interesting to see which overage players are being selected by some of the men's teams. And um, the women's games went fairly well as predicted, I think. Pretty much, except for obviously the Canada game. Really? Mm. we beating America.
1: Ah, oh, Okay. Yeah.
2: Oh, all all behind Canada for that one. I think the whole world was.
1: Yeah.
8: Oh, absolutely. I I wasn't unhappy with it. I was just
1: surprised. There's a a few games going to extra time and penalties, so everyone's getting their money's worth on the free-to-air television, even if they don't have the ads, they get (laughs) lots of
2: football. I'd say (laughs) a bit of a surprise in the men's was uh, New Zealand getting out of the group phase, and then even in their quarter final match, you know, drawing with Japan and, you know, they bowed out on penalties, but it, you know, certainly New Zealand gave a good showing of themselves and were only one or two penalties away from being in a medal match.
8: Yeah, that um, Kakache goal um, early on in the group stage was phenomenal from New Zealand, wasn't it?
2: Uh, I can't remember it, to be honest. <laughs> I was checking the results, but I hadn't seen their highlights. Way so. out
8: of the box. He's just sort of, yeah, there it is, the top corner. Yep. I've been pretty impressed, though, um, with Japan in general in football of recent recent times, I think. A few World Cups ago, I was like, "Right, they are bang on for, um going to be sort of up there in the next few World Cups," and it's just never really transpired.
3: Oh, okay. Yep.
2: Do we have Japan in our? No, we don't have Japan in our qualifying group for the uh, next World Cup, do we? Because that's uh, that would that'd be good news to hear. Oh, yes, we do. We do have Japan. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. We've Fantastic. got yeah Japan.
8: Yeah. So that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, Speaking of which, we on didn't
2: we? Uh, yeah. So uh, apparently, we so qualifying kicks off next month. Um, Australia's supposedly hosting China, but the talk is that we're not going to have the game in Australia and maybe in the Middle East or maybe Vietnam because we're playing Vietnam five days later. Be
1: prepared for
8: anything. (laughs) They just need to remember that Perth exists sometimes.
2: True. I think it's more of a COVID thing, so I'm not sure that, uh, like, regardless of where it is... um, you know, it'd be nice for us to say, well, you know, Perth can put our hand up, we're COVID-free, but the last thing we want is people coming over here and then spreading the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have a lot to answer for. In Life that goes
1: on, Pete. Yeah. Mm, yeah, actually, we didn't mention anything about the FFA Cup in our conversation with Tacky too. So just uh, next round of the FFA Cup... Is it still called the FA Cup? God, it feels like I'm saying something <laughs> wrong when I say that. Damn it! So, um, Florrie and Nisa, you were going through, and yes. uh, P, uh, Perth, Perth Glory and has Melbourne to play Victory.
2: Melbourne Victory, although that's still all completely yeah. up in the air.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and whoever wins out of Perth Glory or Melbourne Victory will be travelling to play Adelaide City, mm. not Adelaide United. Adelaide City, the State League side.
1: Yep. So, who knows when, and be prepared when you do know where and when it might change. That's anyway, right. so just uh, make sure you've got your streaming services or Fox or whoever's. Who is going to be streaming that now?
2: Paramount Plus.
1: Okay, that's the one. For
2: $8.99 a month, I believe it is. Okay. And you get all your FFA Cup, you get all your A League, you get all of your Asian Champions League, and there's other stuff, but I don't care about anything
8: else. They're, they're, they're getting the SPFL on as well, I believe. Sorry, they're going to be what as well? getting the Scottish leg on, which just Fantastic. about did it for me. Fantastic.
1: Okay.
2: Speaking of the Scottish league. Nice Leagues, segue. Yeah. Go. Ange Postecoglou <laughs> had his first win, although not actually in the Scottish Premiership. Um, have you sort of been keeping track of Celtic and, and Ange and how they're going?
8: Yeah, Ange has come in at a pretty rough time for Celtic, yeah. to be fair. Um, I mean, well, for, for a start, he wasn't even the first choice. They, they got rid of Neil Lennon. Um, in my mind, probably six to eight months after they probably should have. And then they just sort of went, all right, well, let's just not worry about appointing a replacement for a while. (laughs) And then eventually they they went, oh, maybe we should do this. And, oh, Eddie Howe, he's not in work at the moment. He plays some good football. Um, And then they just spent, I think it was about two months trying to to get Eddie Howe aboard and, and dot the I's and cross all the T's. And then eventually... There were no eyes or T's to cross because there was no contract and there was no Eddie Howe anymore. So <laughs> they went, "Oh, oh, <laughs> where do we go for the year?" And I don't know. I don't know what the thinking process was to get Ange on board. I mean, I'm I'm very supportive of it. But I think Ange is a great manager. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. Yeah, how that transpired, but, but they basically he's come to Celtic at a time when the club is. I mean, I don't want to use the word crisis too loosely, but I think it's just about crisis. Yeah. Where so,
1: so hang on, let's they've got a, a lot of. Let's just cap that. So for those of you who are not Scottish football supporters, (laughs) um, Celtic and... Rangers. Yeah, thank you. See, I'm I'm just not there, all right? Where where do they sit in the echelon right now of Scottish football?
8: Okay, so um, Rangers went bust, and depending on who you ask, they either ceased to exist as a club or just got relegated down to League Two as a club. Yep. Um, And then they sort of... Either the new, depending on where you sit, either the new club uh, slowly fought its way back or the old club slowly, slowly fought its way back <laughs> up to the Premier League. Yep. Um, and then that gave Celtic a long time to sort of establish their hegemony amongst um, Scottish football and had really no genuine competition. You know, as, as um, Kevin Bridges once said, it was a two-horse race. Then one horse fell off, so then it just became show jumping. <laughs> and <laughs> And so yeah, Celtic um, had had yeah had Germany on Scottish football, and then Rangers came back. Um, it took them a while. They sort of they were throwing good money after bad money on on, on terrible signings for a while. And Joey Barton came on, on, I believe, on about twenty grand a week, and then within three or four weeks was no longer at the club, but was still getting paid. So there was a lot of you know reverting back to type. Um, but then eventually they sort of figured it out. They got uh, some good signings in. They got Stephen Gerrard in. Um, But by this point, now, important to note, both Rangers and Celtic have won the league nine times in a row before. Wow. And so by the time Celtic managed to, or Rangers managed to finally figure their way out, Celtic were back up to nine again for the second time. So they've now won the league nine times in a row again. Uh, And so last season was supposed to be the here-we-go-ten in a row uh, for Celtic, which was the the record breaker. And so they had um, some fairly key players on... with two years left in their deal and they just sort of went right let's just throw all the dice 10 in a row like just go all the way Um, and then had um, to put it mildly a a pretty underwhelming season (laughs) Um, and they finished I think it was about 25 points behind Rangers or something like that and so they threw all the eggs in this 10 in a row basket didn't get it and then now they have a lot of players who want to leave who are the best players in the club and they're out of contract at the end of the season so they've got to kind of sell them now to get any real money for them. Otherwise, they risk losing them for free at the end of the season or on vastly reduced it um, sums uh, at, at January. And so Ange has kind of come in to this point where the, the squad isn't really no longer good enough. They've, they've the, the players that are good enough don't want to be there anymore and want to go. Um, Aya, for example, one of their best defenders, has just gone to Brentford. And their, yeah, their recruitment has been pretty poor for a while now uh they've been living on their sort of former glories for for too for too long. And Ange has to kind of rebuild Yeah, and just put together just
1: what he the shards
8: yeah. of of, mm-hmm. of what of what it was. Mm-hmm. Um and try and sort of change the style completely um and and do that with um probably a, if I'm gonna be honest the Score that isn't really good enough. And yeah, and on a very limited time because by the time they got Eddie Howe out of the way and realised that wasn't going to happen, mm-hmm. they were only a month out from the season. So then they got um, Ange Postecoglou over with Mo no assistance, um, and by the time he got out of quarantine, I think he had 21 days between meeting the squad for the very first time and his first Champions League qualifying game against Mutilad.
2: Yes. Ironically, um, uh, thank you for saying the name of the team, because I couldn't say it, <laughs> but uh, they, they did knock Celtic out of the Champions League, and one of the goal scorers was an Australian, uh, was A bill Yeah, Mbill. Mbill. Yeah,
8: sorry, Adelaide mm-hmm. United player. Oh, so. Hmm. I don't know how this is going to pan out, though, because the second time in about four seasons, Celtic have been beaten in a Champions League qualifier by a club who have apparently been playing an ineligible player. Oh,
3: so that really? happened a few
8: years ago against Legia Warsaw, yep. and it got awarded a 3-0 win to Celtics, um, which put them through to the next round, ah. even though they lost. Yep. Um, and so I don't know what's going to happen this time because the first leg of the next tie has already been played.
2: That's right, yeah. So, they, so that was Ange's first win with them, too, over... Uh Jabloniec from uh, the Czech Republic, uh, and yeah, with the with the yeah. next game in five days' time, and that was an away win as well. So you'd like to think they should be able to get through there.
8: So so yeah, if, uh, if so they the, can't qualify for the Europa League, then there's an issue.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, from what I've seen on the forums, I sort of had a bit of a poke around on the Celtic forums. Most people, most of the diehard fans, do seem to be giving uh, Ange the benefit of the doubt at the moment. There's anger seems to be directed more at the board. A, and There's Jesus. definitely a lot of anger at
8: the board yeah. and the sort of the absentee owner. But, I mean, very initially when they were appointing him, because they had a, a while now to kind of um, move that over, when they very initially appointed him, there was a lot of outrage about, like, who is this person yeah. who's yeah. never managed in Europe that's managing us. And, and to be fair, it got... Um, the criticism of has got pretty uncomfortably close to xenophobia, <laughs> um, given that... Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I... My family is Scottish, and so I understand that I like the Scottish League, but a lot of people in the Scottish League seem to have vastly inflated opinions of, of how good the league actually is. <laughs> and they yeah. think it's it's just, you know, a slightly reduced version of the English Premier League. Yeah. And, you know, who is this person's only managed in Australia and <laughs> Japan? Uh, and, and it was pointed out to several people that Australia and Japan, the leagues that Ange has won the league in, um, are both national teams that are, are ranked higher in FIFA rankings than Scotland. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, maybe maybe is a good appointment.
1: So tell us some of the Australian players besides the one we've mentioned. So uh, Mobile and uh, Tommy Rogic.
2: Tommy Rogic is, is the here. only one at Celtic. So okay. Mo- so Mobile scored against Celtic yep. to knock them out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think there had been some talk whether Ange was going to bring in an, any Australian players, but I don't think anyone really thinks that's. Touch wood. That's really a likely thing. He's not sort of going to suddenly stack Celtic with
8: Aussies. No, I don't think so. And and there was a lot of um, issues last year before when um, basically a lot of Australian players were pulled uh, just before the the Old Firm game against Rangers, and so a lot of people were pretty unhappy that they yeah they they were missing the the, the game against Rangers to go play um, in the Asian Cup, in yeah. Australia. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, You know, I don't think there will be a mass sort of Australian um, immigration to to Glasgow. um, But Tommy Rogic, I reckon, is probably going to be the biggest winner out of the Ange appointment because Ange, you know, he's played for Ange quite a lot and he's played quite well for Ange quite a lot. So, you know, the known quantity there could help Tommy Rogic, um, although I think they are trying to sort of... Yeah, I think Tommy Roglic's best days have probably passed. He, he did agree, or there was a, an agree, a deal, rather, agreed for him to go to the UAE um, yep. last year, and then that fell through right at the last hurdle.
3: OK.
1: You mentioned in that uh, conversation about um, the Asian Cup and release of players. Now with the new calendar, the domestic calendar that's been introduced, I don't think that'll yep. ever happen again, will it? Because it'll be an international space, where all of those international fixtures will be held without interfering with
2: that, that's cultures. on the Australian domestic. I don't know if that applies oh. to the Asian. Yeah, Champions so no, so the
8: Asian Cup yeah. is is a lot like the African Cup of Nations, just yeah. only held half as often. Yeah, where it's in yeah in January, which is a yeah. key key time for a lot of European clubs. Yeah, so, I know. Um, yeah, African mm-hmm. nations have had a lot of issues with it before, where their Cup of Nations, although it's held every two years, um, so it's more of a problem. Um, but again, it's jan- January February, and so um. You know, key, key players the clubs are leaving yep. at, a, at a pretty important
1: time of the season. I had a very excited moment there because when they developed that domestic calendar, I thought they built in enough windows that will allow our players not to um, be leave the clubs at their detriment. But then, yep. yeah, from the other point of view, from the, uh, yeah, the, where international players are playing, Australian players are playing internationally with their clubs, that doesn't happen the same way. Yeah. God, so much... The, like a 12-month calendar is so damn hard to kind of work so that no one misses out on Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's just not going to happen, is it? It's all about money. <laughs> all about money. So, Derek, Australian players internationally and COVID, how is COVID affecting where players are being enticed to and deal breakers and transfers? And what's what's the news in that department?
8: I think it's just the sort of the standard um, process where... COVID has hit, clubs have a lot less money as a result of that. And so it's not sort of uniquely affecting Australian players. It's just affecting everyone in in a simple sort of way where clubs have less money. So there's uh, probably, you know, cutting, pulling back a little bit on the scouting, maybe not um, as willing to take risks because transfers are a bit more important now to get right. And also border closures, you know, um, I know of, of at least one person from Perth who was supposed to go over to England and then, um, and then yeah, the borders became an issue, and so it wasn't able to get across anymore, and flights became a bit of an issue. And so it's more of an issue for the sort of the younger and lesser-known players because they're less willing to... You know, if Man City wants to sign someone, they will sign someone and they will get them there. Um, but, you know, if you're going to sign for a Birmingham City or, you know, a Scunthorpe or something like that, then suddenly, there's you know, there's a lot less power um, to pull that. And a lot of clubs, um, yeah... Are really cutting back at the moment because so, you know a lot of clubs are very close to really in Europe um, to going to the wall um, really because it's not just that fans haven't been able to come in, but everyone has been affected. So fans have less money to buy merchandise. Yep. Sponsors have less money um, to put to to give to clubs and uh, clubs at the lower end a, a, a larger percentage of their data of their week to week takings are from fans who buy tickets at the gate. You know, if you're Man United, a lot of the tickets are sold through match match um, through season tickets, so the money's already gone. Um, whereas if you're Plymouth, a, a larger percentage, for example, of your um, tickets are on on match day. Mm.
1: What about? Um, I know you talk a lot about the English or the European well English leagues really in um, Scotland. Um, you mentioned there Manchester United. What clubs are being affected? At, there's not. I can't see that clubs are being affected myself. Like, I look across the news and big clubs have uh, big investments. They have um, you know diverse places where they have investments. So, for me, they'd just call those in, they'd get them through. Then another couple of years, we're through this crisis and they're all okay again. Is that pretty much how a big club is operating or are there some real situations there where uh, we would talk about? Yeah.
8: Y- yes and no. Um, the really, really big clubs, by and large... Um, are okay. Um, they're not spending as much. If you look at the graphs of the amount of money clubs are spending on transfers, it has dropped massively um, mm. this year. But um, but most of the big clubs are okay. I'll put, pull out a couple of very, very notable exceptions. One massive one, for, in fact, uh, Barcelona. Mm. So the, um, the FFP rules in Europe, where you have to look at how much money clubs have spent over the last three years and figure out, is that too much? Is that not enough? Whatever, and then they do that. You know, they backdate fines, say you've overspent. In La Liga, they do the opposite, where they look forward and they look at each club and they pull out all their financial metrics, and they distill that to kind of this one number and say, right, this is your budget for the year going forward. You're not allowed to spend going forward any more than this. Barcelona, mm-hmm. um, that's in two years, that's basically halved, wow. and so they have overspent massively for years and years and years under the previous ownership or the previous president and now the new president's come in and looked at it and gone oh my god what has been <laughs> happening what has been happening to the point where they they signed five free agents and they can't yet register them so Sergio Aguero's gone there Eric Garcia's gone there Memphis Depay has gone there uh, there's a couple of others I'm forgetting who've gone there and they, they literally cannot register them to the, to the club yet because they're still way over the budget for this coming season and they've kind of spent the last three weeks with this contract for Lionel Messi yes. going, All right, you know, you've agreed it, cool, let's just wait until we've sorted out the finances and then we'll sign it up officially and you'll be a player. And they've yesterday they came out and said that's not gonna happen. They, they there is no way or there's just no world in which they can afford Lionel Messi this year. So mm. Lionel Messi has gone from free agent to a real free agent who can now look at other clubs genuinely. Yep. And the word on the street is he's now going to go to, to Paris.
1: So I have a question about this, and it might just be a real unknowing level here. But could Lionel Messi say, I'm going to play for half the wage I did last year? And could the club say yes?
8: He did that. <laughs> he signed a a, 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 a contract in, in in principle of 50% of what he was previously on. Yeah. Um, but it's got to the point where Barcelona... Can't afford uh, the fifty percent oh. Yeah. No, no, they can't afford... They can't afford... They're already over with the players that had... So you had the players that had last year take Lionel Messi's three million a week away from that, and they're still over <laughs> what they what they need to be.
1: So give me an idea the him, So it, if his full budget is let's I don't know ten million, uh, and then half is they probably five need million. to get
2: to the point where he's paying them to play for them. <laughs> to just about, the yeah, yeah.
8: But yeah, I, I mean, because if you look at it, it's it's because they've just had years of giving players pay rises. Last year, they had the the single largest wage bill in world sport, not in world football, in world sport. <laughs> so, in all of world sport, they they were paying the most yeah. for their players.
2: And so, you, you say <laughs> he's probably going to go to Paris Saint Germain?
8: Well, I mean, it was very interesting timing that the day um, they put out this press release saying they're not going to sign him and he, he, they just can't afford to bring him on, and Casley Maria, our PSC player, puts a photo on Facebook saying amigos and love heart, and it's Lionel Messi ah. with five PSG players on a balcony.
3: Ah, there we go.
8: <laughs> so yeah, I feel it might have been very coincidental, five
2: Yeah, well, if he hasn't signed yet, you know, Tony Sage, get on the call, get on the phone to him. We, do we <laughs> could do it. We could do with him at the glory.
1: So let me get this straight, right? Barcelona couldn't afford half his wage, mm. so he could have gone down low because I feel his wage is going to be amazing anyway. Yeah. So well, he... I, feel, I
8: think he was on two million gross a week. Last year, it was on about 100 million last year.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, come year, on, so, right? So, if it was just for the next year, they could do a short term contract and reduce it by what, a tenth, then he'd still live.
8: Well, at this point, he, so they've been given this figure. They have to be under that, or on or under that figure. They're about a, I think they're about 100 million a year over that figure currently. So they need to reduce their wage bill and by about hundred million. So they need to get you know Antoine Griezmann is on six hundred thousand a week, Coutinho is on three hundred and fifty thousand a week, Piaric, that played four or five games last year is on about three hundred and forty thousand a week. Monti <laughs> who couldn't get three games um, consecutive together last year is on two hundred and ten thousand a week. They've just been overpaying players way beyond anything they're worth, mm. and that's the problem they've got. If they had reasonable contracts. Other clubs would come in now and be like, right, we'll give you this money and we'll take this guy off his hands for you.
1: Yeah.
8: Um, but so no one wants...
1: That's what they've done. They've yeah. put unreasonable wages in place to keep those players beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah.
8: Hmm. Yeah, and now no one... You know, and most of them are too old and not worth the money. And so no one wants to come in. You know, I'm sure... If they really wanted, they could find someone to take Pjanic off their hands, but they would probably still have to pay a hundred thousand a week off his wages. You know, no one would take the players at their current wage. Yeah. They, Barcelona would have to subsidise any player. Really, they've sold a lot of the, a lot of younger players that are not not quite as good. But again, that's that's the problem: is that those players aren't the problem. Yeah, <laughs> they right. need to take. They need someone to take Coutinho off their hands, or Gresman, or Umtiti, or Pjanic, or all of the above, preferably.
1: So if. Messi goes to PSG, what kind of wage would they be offering him? Are they able to afford something that Barcelona hasn't? Is that- I think
8: when UEFA tried to find City and ban them from the Champions League for SP and that got brought back and City won, I think that was kind of an indication to these sort of clubs that you know it, it, it's all fair game now. So I think PSG could probably offer whatever they wanted and I'm sure they'd be able to find a way to make that back in, in marketing and, and, and merchandise sales. Yeah.
1: Yeah, as long money. as, well, yeah, marketing moves to ourselves, but not necessarily people in the stadium because... Um, not, not yet, no. Yeah, not yet. Ooh. Okay, Derek, before we let you go, um, we've had the Olympics women's football grand final played out last night, um, the men's grand final, and I have a total blank in my head at the moment. It's got to be Spain, Spain and Brazil. Spain and Brazil. Yep, Bas- okay.
8: Brazil and Spain, yeah.
1: Yep. Okay, what's, what's your tip?
8: Uh, Brazil. Okay. Yeah, they've got Richarlison, they've got uh, Danny Alves. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Spain win because they they have some phenomenal plays. I don't know how they've got so many good plays on the 23. But um, Brazil, yeah, just looked, I think, a little bit too strong. And, you know, players for Spain, key players like Pedri. Um, I mean, again, if I was Spanish or, or from Barcelona, I'd be very worried about how many games Pedri's playing. He's 18. I think he's played be his 74th game this year. Oh, wow. If he played, or 75th or something. He's played... Yeah, he's played over five thousand minutes. I think this year. Wow. So I'd be concerned about how many how many minutes that guy's getting into his legs. Yeah, it's going to do damage. But uh, yeah, I think it could go either way. But I think Brazil will have enough.
1: Yeah, I like yeah. the way you said concerned for the player. I I hope that somewhere along the line there's going to be a break, and he'll be able to recharge his batteries. Make sure he's a okay mentally doing. I think all right.
8: After today, he'll have to have two FERX offshore. Yeah. I think they've they've legally got to give them. Three weeks after a
1: tournament. Yeah. Yep. Good. Derek, as always, a minefield of incredible information. Thank you very much for joining <laughs> us. Appreciate that.
8: Really, Thanks, guys. Thanks, Derek. Have a Derek. good weekend. See ya. Yeah, see you too. See ya.
1: Derek Pollock.
8: Yes, and goes, I, I
2: believe sure. the final is at, if I'm translating the times correctly, 5.30 mm-hmm. p.m. Perth time, Brazil versus Spain. Nice. Be a good one to watch.
1: Yep, absolutely. I've watched all of the games that I could possibly fit into my timetable and streaming and clips and everything. Something I haven't seen is the women's Netherlands team. I haven't caught any of their games. I don't think they were on any of my, like, app thingies. But that's okay. I've caught everyone else, and they didn't make it through to the finals, so...
2: No, they, uh, they went down in a penalty shootout against the US. Mm. I think I did see the penalty shootout bit.
1: Well, they, yeah, they had like a little clip on one of my apps. I'm like, that's just. Is that not on the enough. Seven
2: Sport app? Because mm. that's really hard to use and doesn't seem to. It, it like gets you there eventually, but I find I need to take three or four goes at finding something. Agreed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then I think when a lot of people are on it, it just crashes.
3: Yeah.
1: <sighs> Very annoying. We're going to come back and chat more football, of course, with Vince Matassa. This is Penn and Pete on the World Football program. <gasps> <Perugram. laughs> Stay tuned. We'll be back. Radio,
9: Radio Fremantle, Fremantle 107.9 FM.
1: Hi, I'm Penny Tannerhoth. It's season 34 for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. We are the longest-running football show in Australia morphed from a sports program way back in 1987. The hosts and voices may have changed but the content filled with passion news, characters and history has not. The world football team are all volunteers and we appreciate you listening in 2021 brings a new look with a new logo, website and podcast. Thanks for sharing the journey with us on Radio Fremantle if you like us, become a member of the station. Find the membership form on our new website the world football program. West Coast Futsal
6: Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport at all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues pathways to academies and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia With four venues across Perth as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play there's a junior, men's women's or mixed competition that will suit you Contact us Get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport and the fastest-growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at futsalwa.org.au or via our website, www.futsalwa.org.au.
1: Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make, and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along
9: or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA.
2: Station sponsor.
4: Not too long to go now.
2: We aren't just the people who mow your lawn. We aren't just the people who paint your houses. We aren't just office workers or taxi drivers or even the family next door. Underneath it all, we are fans. No matter when, no matter where, we'll be there.
4: to let your inner fan out. No guts, no glory.
1: Welcome back. This is Penn and Pete. We're on the World Football Programme 107.9 FM Community Radio. Radio Fremantle. Is that a bird I can hear in the background? I can hear a bird. Or a cricket. A cricket? No, it's a bird. Vince, good morning.
0: Good morning, Penny. Good morning, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going, Vince?
1: Sounds like you're at the I'm park. I'm good, I'm good.
0: Pleasure <laughs> to be here.
1: Thanks for joining us. Vince, uh, by the way, uh, Tom Somani, who is following you in this gig this morning, said uh, you're his warm-up guy. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but um...
0: <laughs> yeah, it, do- it doesn't sound like he's giving me any respect, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him that. He's in quarantine at the moment, so I think you've got a, a great uh, greater degree of freedom uh, than he has at the moment. So, Vince, we've got you on to have a chat about football post-Perth Glory and what you're up to right now. And, oh, by the way, because we've signed Brad Jones, who's in his late 30s, 30, so there you yes. go, well, we figured that you must be about in that age, Vince, and that it's time for you to make a comeback uh, to Perth Glory. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, funny, funny that you say that, because uh, the boys told me they'd signed Brad Jones. Uh, and then they're like, Dad, you can almost play. He's pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> It's very, it's very kind of them. It is very kind of to, to think that. But, yeah, I think I'm a far a few too many years gone on that one.
1: So tell us the story you're going to tell your grandkids about the Vince Matassa football journey.
0: <laughs> well, you see, anything, if it's not good, if you can't Google it on the internet, it kind of doesn't happen. So I think my kids are still a bit in denial about whether I even played soccer at any point <laughs> ah. think they, they can't see it on the internet. Uh, no, I think, I mean, for me what i took out of um my career was it was just traveling to different places and cultures and just being able to pick up a ball anywhere and whether you're joining in a park game or whether you're you know getting a bit of extra money on the side in some of the lower leagues in england uh it just gives you opportunity and um you know all my my three boys and possibly my daughter as well uh, they like afl and soccer and uh, they haven't chosen yet but i you know i just say to them like you know how many tours can you go in with AFL? Tell me where you're going to travel to. You know, and that, that answers it pretty quickly because soccer, they've seen how much – and they love overseas. They've had a bit of overseas travel as well, and I think it just opens up the world for you. So for me, it's a no-brainer, and I, you know, I hope that, that that passion, not just for soccer but for just travel and, and using football as the way to um, meet different cultures and understand different cultures, yeah. um, it's, just, it's just fantastic. So I'm pretty sure that's sinking into them as well.
1: You mentioned a little bit about um, the different cultures and I'm a good one for showing kids everything about life so they can appreciate and respect it as they get older. Um, One thing that I I think has changed uh, a lot, well, maybe it never was here, but has changed worldwide, is park and street football. What's your thoughts on that and in your journeys, what have you seen that the kids and football environment is compared to, say, here in Australia?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it does, it does have an effect. Uh, It's not the only reason. It does have an effect on, you know, the number of Australians who are able to, you know, break through into some of the top leagues in the world when you look at, you know, life opportunities. Mm. We're, we're really lucky in Australia and we do have various opportunities. I mean, some of us more than others, but it's not the be all end all. and, And you look at, there's a story about, um, one of the players in Belgium, uh, the board who, you know, he realised when he was a young kid, was Lukaku, that his mum was watering down their milk because she couldn't afford to buy fresh milk. I think he was about nine or ten at the time. Mm-hmm. And he realised just how poor they were. And he was talking in, in hindsight, you know, being able to provide for his parents as a career. And you, and you look at that and the South American kids who kind of don't have a lot... And you just think, yeah, that this is it for them. And and that intensity. When when you go and play overseas, you can see the intensity in every training session. Uh, it really is everything to them. And then you look back at the Australian kids who love their football, are desperate to do well, and train hard. But they've got they've got a fallback most yeah. of the time, yeah. which and that's not a bad thing at all. I mean, that's a good thing. But you can you can see the difference. And I've tried to explain that to some of my guys, you know. And I think that's. When young guys from Australia go overseas, um, incredibly talented players, uh, it is really tough because you're suddenly going into an environment where it is cutthroat, even at a 17-year-old level. Uh, there's no friendliness, no jovialness. The, the trainings are intense because they look at you as someone who will take their career. They don't have other choices. Mm. And some some Australians can swim. They survive that. It's hard and it's, it's a very fast learning curve, um, whereas others it's all a bit much. And that, that's fine. I, and you know, it's different for everyone, but it's certainly an extra factor for us. I mean, obviously, we're lucky to have that extra opportunity, but it does make it a little bit tougher when it's a really, really cutthroat environment. It really shocks some of the young guys when they get over there.
2: Yeah, I, I do remember, funnily enough, speaking about goalkeepers, uh, an interview with the Paraguayan keeper, uh, Shilivert, from... Yep. Probably about twenty years ago now, uh, and they asked him, you know did he feel the pressure playing for Uruguay?" And he said, "No, I felt the pressure when I was playing and knew that I wouldn't get paid if we conceded, and my family would go hungry. Wow. so playing for my country, there's no pressure at all compared to that no and pressure. yeah, so what, what you say certainly rings true with uh, uh, other environments and and the you know the intensity that they have to play under.
0: I remember Aaron Moy, who I mean, you look at him now and you think, you know, what a, what a career he's, you know, did well at the A League and then went over to, um, you know, Man City, kind of signed him through through Melbourne City and playing in the top level at Premier League, but. but a lot of people he went over as about a 17 year old and he played for Livingstone in the mm. second division in Scotland for a couple of years and you, you look at someone playing Livingstone and go well he's not going to end up at you know, Brighton in the Premier League but Aaron Moy, and, and he came back after a couple of years, didn't quite make it yep. and he said what he learnt from that actually was how to win, how how to be professional and how to be cutthroat in the way you win in a professional team uh, and that second division in Scotland, you Scotland know, the intensity of winning there was, was a massive step above any of the teams he'd been in, in Australia, so that is actually an important Part of his football journey, obviously, he had the skills as well, which developed. But he he always said, yeah, that that year or two in Scotland um, was what taught him that hardness. And I, I think you yeah. know you, you do need to learn it somewhere. And it's great that he was able to take that on board and then come back and have another go. And of course, you know, didn't look back after that. But it, it's interesting to see that you do. A lot of the guys need that couple of years just to kind of understand that environment a bit before you can then your own natural talent comes out.
1: It's interesting what you said about the intensity and the competitiveness. And just having a talk to some different coaches like uh, Tacky Nikolaitis, who's now at Mum FC, and then Graham Normanton is at uh, Forest for the different levels of football here and how they see they manage their squads and they encourage their players to get the best out of them in the competitive environments that they're in. And, and I'm a junior coach, so, because for me, it's about, OK, if I've got some kids that are uh, have got the ambition and the talent, I want to foster that, but there's other kids also and we're talking about 14, 15, 16 year olds who want to play and play for the Matildas. So mm. you've got to kind of work to the levels there. Some kids want to be pushed. Some adults want to be pushed. Yeah. Um, and some just want to play because they sheerly enjoy football. And we want to keep all of that in our football environment. We want the numbers to be good. We want people to enjoy what they do. Just like when you go to work, you want to enjoy your work. You want to get paid. But you also want to enjoy who, who you're working with and hopefully enjoy the job that you're doing. So you'll be doing that for whatever length of time that'll be, to balance in life.
0: Mm. Yeah, and one and one size doesn't fit all, as you, as you yeah. say. I think you know it's it's important to recognise what different players need, and and, and that that intensity we're talking about. I mean, that's not for everyone. Um, you know, and you shouldn't. If it, if the kids or the the young the young adults not enjoying it, uh, then yeah, you, you kind of can't force it on. But it might be that two or three years later they're ready for that as well. I mean, everyone develops at a different rate, And I, I know that, that whole story about, you know, I, I used to get asked quite a bit when I was back here in, in football, you know, should should my son's 16, he's doing really well, has been offered a trial over in England, should he go? Uh, or should we wait till he's kind of a bit older? And, you know, there's no there's no perfect answer because it completely depends on, on the, the individual. Some some kids went over, Harry Kiel went over when he was young and it worked perfectly. He was ready. Fred Emerson didn't go till he was about 21, I think he mm. played two or three years in the National League um, and when he went, he went straight into the first team he was ready, so there's it, it no perfect fit uh, and it does mm-hmm. depend on your child and it doesn't mean if you choose one way and it doesn't work out you can't go again later on, I think it's it's a matter of knowing knowing your child and what they want and then recognising that it's not working um, you know, backing off and, and giving it a couple of years because people do develop at different
1: times. Vince a couple of claim to fames, what's the biggest event you've ever participated in?
0: Mm. Uh, the biggest event, well, the, so I was lucky enough to, to get into the under 20 Australian team uh, where mm. Australia hosted the World Cup. So we had a kind of a two or three year build up to that. And I'd, I'd kind of got th- into that through the Institute of Sport was how you kind of, the path and the WA State teams. and I know that doesn't exist anymore, which is unfortunate, but we had a good cup. We had tours to South America and Europe, and it was a great build-up, and, and we hosted the World Cup and ended up uh, we ended up fourth, and we lost the third, fourth playoff to England, right. frustratingly. Yeah. Uh, and I think we lost the semi to Brazil as well, and that that was, I mean, it's hard now, obviously, but, you know, if it had happened now, you'd have all sorts of social media and internet now. <laughs> that was just media back then. So it's hard to get a sense of how big it was, but certainly, you know, it was full stadiums and, because it was Australia and we were doing well, we, we were kind of you know front front and back pages of all the all the papers. And so, so it was pretty good. It was a long time ago, now, obviously, 93. but I think that was yes yeah, 93. yeah ninety three. So that that was certainly a pretty pretty big man and very enjoyable. There's no doubt about it um, to kind of have that. But you know, there was certainly some players who you know, from the from the different countries that went on. But, but there was a lot of players who didn't. So, I think, you know, Dida was the goalkeeper for Brazil and he went on to have a great career and a few of the players in England. I think Julian Joshin scored the winner for them against against me, I think, right at the end there. So, um, you got some big names, but then you had other players who didn't make it. So, it's, it's always interesting to see how how do you pick which players are going to go and which aren't. It's, it's a funny one.
1: Uh, Craig Moore, Kevin Muscat and... Aloisi, I think, were playing in that squad. Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. Musk, Musk was our captain. And, uh, you know, I, I went to the institute with him and kind of, he was my age group, so we, we grew up together. And There's no doubt about it that even at the age of 15, 16, when I first met him, he he was a leader on and off the field and he did not lose five-a-side games. So he, wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't the quickest. That's the thing. He wasn't the quickest. He wasn't the most skillful. He just was a winner, and pretty pretty brutal, pretty ruthless, even to his own teammates. But he just had that, and, and he kind of lifted everyone because he just knew. He, he just wasn't... He was fearless. We, we went over a 17-year-old to the Netherlands for a tour, and we were playing against these men's teams. And, you know, we were a little bit overawed. It was cold, mate. And he was he was going just as hard as the men. And, I mean, hey, I thought to myself, how does he know how to do dirty tackles already? at the age of 17? I, mean, I thought he had to develop that somewhere. He knew how to do them but he did not back down, and I think that lifted everyone, and so it doesn't surprise me the career he had. Uh, as I said, he, he wasn't the quickest, wasn't the most skillful, so you wouldn't necessarily have looked at him and said, oh, he's going to be a star, but he just had that had that X factor and never lost a five-a-side at training. It was incredible.
2: <laughs> Other claim to fame in that tournament was uh, in the quarter-finals, uh, Australia beat Uruguay 2-1 in extra time with a golden goal, which FIFA bought in for a little while and then scrapped again, so if memory serves, I think that was actually the first time that a golden goal decided a match.
0: It was, and our WO and, our WA and WA boy Tony Carboni scored it. Yep. And it was kind of a header off the side of his head I think, yeah, <laughs> from across. Yeah, and I was telling my boys about that the other day when you know, the European games are going to extra time and so on. I was telling about the fact that we had this gold goal. I didn't mind it actually. I mean, the idea was to, to ne- try and introduce a bit more adventure in the games. Um, rather than people sitting back the penalties, I, I think they decided it didn't work because people were even more fearful of letting a guy in the giving themselves 30 minutes. So they went back. But those youth tournaments, they often introduced the rules to have a look there. The, mm-hmm. the under 17s before us, I think they brought in the rule, it wasn't the one I was in, um, no offside um, other than in your own penalty box.
3: Ah. Thinking uh-huh. that That'd would be interesting. Maybe in, 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 and then what happened was. Basically, the defence, the strikers
0: would sit on the edge of the box, and every yeah. time the defence got there, they would just boot it long to the strikers. Yeah. So the midfields were basically <laughs> running 100-metre doggies the whole time. <laughs> uh, and that was the only tournament they had that one. They scrapped it after that. So, yeah, they, they used to try to introduce some new rules. In those it was quite interesting.
1: I remember Tony Carboni. He was an awesome player. Um, he I played for I, the
2: glory for back in the NSL days. And those. so
1: did his cousin John at some point. I think it was John. That's right, yeah. His
0: younger younger cousin, John.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember a game being held at the South Fremantle Bulldogs Oval, so Fremantle Oval, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Was that a game that you... Well, we had a
0: three-match series against Brazil. Yeah, Brazil. This was before the tournament. So they came to Perth, and this was their full squad, and we played at Fremantle Oval. Yeah, Yeah. and they had a big Portuguese community came out uh, on that day. Yeah, I think they had a parade through the streets with the Portuguese to the game. It was, you know, it was obviously a big, big football community in Fremantle, uh, yeah, we played Fremantle Oval, that's right. And I think we actually might have even beaten them or drew nil in that game, I think.
1: Yeah, I remember that. So, I, um, I, I really yeah, like the yes. environment and I don't ever remember many football things or soccer things because it's a football ground like yeah, AFL, AFL there, football. but I don't remember many soccer things. But there used to be uh, an event that used to happen once a year, and I can't remember what time of year, at the Fremantle Oval. And I remember Martin Wells, who's a former host of this show, he kicked things off and introduced me to the radio, and he used to be one of the instigators, and he used to get people from all different sports, uh, soccer being one of them, then AFL, cricket and so forth, like uh, men and women, and they used to play together. And I remember Adam Gilchrist one year came and played from cricket, and they used to go down to the oval and just play a big charity match. Yep. And there just used to be people watching, and they used to advertise it in the newspapers and whatever else, so... It, um, I remember that happening for many, many years and through that 1993 period and probably up until about the year 2000, I guess. But, um, yeah, one of the things that's gone by the by along the way. Mm. Mm, things have moved on. Um, Vince, what football is in your life now?
0: Well, uh, yes, with with four kids, I've managed to get three of them into football. So I haven't got my daughter quite yet into it. <laughs> She's... Um She's doing diving actually, but uh, I'm hoping the Women's World Cup in 2023 will bring her across. Yeah. Uh, so, certainly, I've been involved in coaching. i have a 15 year old down to five, and actually, this morning I, I coached the, the Mini Roos down at Melville. So And they're all at Melville, so there's, there's four of us at the Melville Club. I think, I think uh, we might be I the family there. What so can I say? Mum uh,
1: FC, go. <laughs> it's
0: been good. Uh, yeah, I actually, and I actually did take up uh, Masters last year after coming back, being away for 15 years. And it, it had been about 14, 15 years since I'd done anything. So, I was a bit reluctant, but. Um, I'm really glad I did, so I, I, I walked over to the 45s because I was eligible for the 45s and they pushed me back into the 35s, I think, <laughs> being a goalkeeper, I was happy to be a goalkeeper and they did need one, so it's actually been far more enjoyable than I thought, um, injuries aside, and I think um, part of it is that actually the boys have come down to watch me play, so you know, no, was, sure. now they, they actually believe I can play at that point I think they weren't sure, so... Uh, and it's a great... I mean, Melville, Melville has a has three, three or teams to that master's level. Uh, so it's a great atmosphere. And, um, yeah, as, as I said, that's that's been a surprise... It's been surprisingly enjoyable, actually, uh, after so long. Um, and actually finding that I can still dive around, which is good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: and Do you get up the next day
1: okay, Vince?
0: Oh, uh, maybe, maybe it takes two or three days to, be
1: able to get back to normal.
0: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and so... very enjoyable and um i think that's been good but at the moment yeah certainly i did some coaching for the under 11s last year and this year the under five and i'll keep doing that it's nice to see the boys enjoy themselves
1: excellent um
0: and helping out yeah so i think there's no doubt that that football will stay in our family for a few more years hopefully good to hear and uh,
1: by the way just out of the um 1993 team that you were in and moore and musket and Aloisi, there's some pretty interesting names and directions that they've taken out of that um Craig Moore is a football pundit. Musket is into coaching and yep. Aloisi is into coaching and a little bit of um commentary as well. Mm. So maybe for there's, you. There's another
0: one there, there's another one there yeah. Ante yes. uh, of course he became the women's uh, Matilda's
1: coach
0: yep. for a little while. He's at McCaffre now. So there's yeah, yes. there has been a couple of coaches come
2: about, too. I still haven't forgiven him for scoring against the glory in the grand final <laughs> back in two thousand and one <laughs> yeah. or so.
1: Mm. So, yeah, so you you kind of fobbed me off a little bit there, Vince, but what I was saying was that there's directions for you to take, like in football, so like media and commentary and and coaching. So there's still loads of potential in the football arena for you in decades to come, young man.
0: Uh, Thank you for using that word, young. I'm not sure if it fits perfectly, but, uh, yeah, look, I'm still very passionate about it and, and, you know, uh, you know, I tell my kids actually, if I had my time again, I would have I would have done sports commentating because I love nothing more than watching sport, and it doesn't <laughs> matter what sport it is. Uh, and that's rubbed off on the boys. And yes, people make fun of the fact that I could probably talk about any sport for about half an hour without without uh, drawing breath. Um, so I do I do have those kind of regrets that I. Didn't Kind of try and push that earlier on. I, I ended up, you know, taking a job for the government, and which allowed me to travel around the world, and so on, which, which has been great. So I, I may have missed the boat, unfortunately, on those ones. But um, I think, you know, just being able to now be involved with the boys and so on, it's kept kept my fire burning. And I, I, am not interested in becoming a, a professional or a serious coach. I just like to be able to help, particularly the youth development. I think whatever I can help out and goalkeepers so so I've got, know, I think.
1: I've got the perfect job for you. I've just realised what the perfect job for you is: is a chair opposite me and a spare <laughs> microphone,
0: right? <laughs> Any time. <laughs> I'm more than happy to cover chat as I said, on a, hmm. I, If you get me, if you get me talking, then uh, you know you have to cut me off at some point.
1: Okay, um, radio. I'm going to label that microphone Vince's <laughs> microphone. Okay, got it. it? <laughs> uh, and before we let you go, uh, you're also a part of the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia. You, so you've just joined recently, like literally in the last year or so. And I think that's a good move for football and for Vince Matassa.
0: Thanks, Betty. Yeah, we're, we're certainly, you know, and, and yourself and the others who've been working so hard for many years to just, you know, nothing's made easy for, for soccer, for football, particularly mm-hmm. WA, so it just takes people plugging away and working hard and, you know, small wins along the way and hopefully by 2023, as is going to have up our own museum up, which would be fantastic for, for the community of WA and, and, you know, not just current players, but families of past players to just be able to come and, and admire and see different little artefacts from the whole history of the soft. Because this, when you read back, there's been some amazing names that have come through. The equivalent of Messi and Ronaldo, you know, from 20, 30 years ago, have been mm. to WA and played here. It, yeah. It's incredible. Uh, and I think that, you know, the more we can get that recorded and available for the public, the better for everyone.
1: Absolutely. Uh, thanks for your time today. Really do appreciate And the energy and enthusiasm into the conversation. Good stuff, Vince.
0: No
2: worries, guys. Have a good show.
1: Have a good weekend. See ya.
2: Thanks, Vincent. See ya.
1: Vince Matassa, former Perth Glory goalkeeper and Australian youth player. An
2: all round good guy.
1: Yeah, it's really lovely to, to have a chat to. It's good when people add lots of things into the conversation and they have a great voice, it makes it a perfect guest to be on radio. Mm. Mm, we'll invite him back at some stage.
2: Speaking Brilliant. of perfect guests for the radio, our next guest is?
1: Tom Simone. Yes, so we'll go to a break and come back and chat more football with Tom Somani. This is Penn and Pete on the World Football Program.
0: The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle
3: 107.9 FM.
2: G'day,
0: I'm
2: Peter Skeeler, the man behind aleagestats.com and part of the World Football Team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoth, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.
4: Do we really believe they come from somewhere else?
9: Leagues in far off lands. Galaxies full of superstars.
4: What if they were made right here? In the city streets and sun-drenched suburbs. Small towns and home grounds.
6: Our parks and pitches aren't just
9: rectangles of dirt and turf. They're fertile grounds where greatness is unearthed. Where Rogic was raised, where Coe was grown. Even if they end up there, they all start here. In front of our eyes and hearts.
5: And right here is where you'll find the next one.
4: My husband decided Yes, we got to get out of India, and we were accepted to Australia, and we came here, and the rest is history, really. At that time, all the Anglo-Indians were leaving. We sent my younger sister to England, and we were going to follow, and we never followed. The doctor said my husband wouldn't make it because of the weather, so then we applied to come here. I think that we made a fantastic choice
0: Hey, Nan, just want to say how grateful I am you chose Australia as your country from India. So proud to be
6: your granddaughter, so proud to represent my country, and hopefully every time I step on the field and wear our last name, I represent my family well. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Miss you, love you, hope you're well, and I'll see you soon.
4: Oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that amazing? Am I the first one to have one in the family? (laughs) Woo-hoo! <laughs> I came here I just, I used to cry All the time Because I'd never ironed anything I'd never cooked so I would go, go to the butcher and say Wait for everyone to leave the shop And say, excuse me Could you tell me what that is? Or oh, that so and so 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 Could you tell me how to cook it please? And I'd go home and cook it And nobody could eat it. Out would come the ham and eggs. (laughs) She just loved her sport. She was always kicking a ball, running around. Why not throw in the flip? There's the backflip. I love her cartwheel ones. And the one that was on the opera house, that was just amazing. So how
1: do you feel when
7: you actually
1: see her? Welcome back to the World Football Programme. That was just a little bit of nostalgia pre-Olympics from Sam Kerr and family and that Opera House um, vision that uh, Football Australia or the government put up, was absolutely amazing.
2: Iconic image and an iconic place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we haven't seen that flip through the Olympic tournament. No, well. I reckon a coach probably said to her, if you do that flipping injure yourself, <laughs> I will not be yeah. a happy coach. <laughs> flip is out. Good morning, Tom. How are you?
9: Good morning, Penny. Very well, thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Really do appreciate it. We've got Tom Samani, the Football Ferns national women's team coach, on the line in quarantine, no less, over in Sydney. How's things going in quarantine, Tom?
9: Very pleasant, actually. <laughs> Peace and quiet. Got my television. Get three meals a day. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've got a decent room. So yeah,
1: going to kick back and watch Happy. the men's final. I'm tonight? looking at.
9: Yeah, I'm looking at making a time for an extension. Um, yes, I am. I am looking forward to the men's game. I haven't I've seen a few of the games in the the men's tournament, but not as many as I would have hoped to see. So I'm looking forward to seeing that tonight.
1: Mm. Well, we can forgive you, I guess, because you've had other things on your mind, yeah. other teams mm. to attend to. It's okay.
9: Yeah, yeah, I've been sort of working. Yes.
1: Yep. What's your take home from the Olympics in regards to how your team, the football ferns, performed?
9: Well, not, not unexpectedly, to be honest. Mm. Um, when you consider our, our preparation or non-preparation, mm. we essentially didn't see our team since March 2020 at the Algarve Cup. Um, we actually didn't get everybody onto a football field in Japan until the 15th of July, mm. um, with our first game in the twenty on the 21st. So. Um, considering how ill prepared we were uh, and the the group that we were in, uh, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't disappointed with the effort. Uh, probably the only the only bit of the three games was the last ten minutes against the US when we gave up three really cheap goals. Yeah, you know, had we come out of that game three one, I'd have been absolutely delighted. So, um, other than that, no, I, I sort of you know you you have your emotional head you have your sensible head Hmm. and my sensible head says you know basically we uh we performed probably as well as we could have
1: yes um do you think that there were other teams that went through a similar preparation to yours
9: no i think we had a we had a a particularly um more challenging well i say no i'm not sure about the likes of zambia uh, because i'm not sure what their preparation Hmm. was but the of the major countries, no, we were we were the most restricted. I mean, Australia were in a similar boat, except that they managed to get you know twenty odd players to Europe, and that yeah. allowed them to to get there as a squad and get together and be together, you know, in the in the April window and be together sort of from the beginning of June right through to the Olympics. Uh, other countries were all playing through the the windows and getting together as normal. But because of the, the COVID restrictions, you know, we had all our staff were in Australia and New Zealand. A lot of our players were in New Zealand and a lot was spread all, all over the world. So it was impossible for us to get together.
2: Yeah. And uh, I mean, in the in the group of the four nations, uh, three of them, the other three all made the semifinals, which was, I think, the first time ever in a you know FIFA tournament where three of the teams in one group phase all make the last four. So, the the term yeah. "group of death" gets bandied around a lot, but I think in this case, you know, you've literally got, you know, you you were in yeah. a group with the three three of the four top teams, um, going by the yeah. final standings. So, ironically, not Definitely. the team that won, but all the yeah. others second, third, fourth.
9: Yeah, yeah, and and I think that highlighted the, the quality of the group. Yeah. and um, and to be honest, the the they were three. I think particularly Sweden were probably the best team in the tournament overall. Yep. Uh, despite losing the final. So, yes, it was a tough trip.
1: Yeah, yep. a lot of games <laughs> went to extra time and penalties, which uh, my daughter loves the penalties part, so <laughs> um, there was a few late nights along the way. And I'm, I'm very pleased to see through the Olympics tournament... Uh, and, and this year is that my daughter, who's now 14, actually is taking a very active interest in football. This this year particularly, no other year, yep. she's actually shown that she wants to play football, follows the Matildas, follows even the Ollie Roos and yep. the Socceroos, which is awesome. And I, I, I swear, Tom, I didn't push her at all. She just took it upon herself this year.
2: She so, would have absorbed yeah. that by osmosis, yeah. With yeah. just yeah. being in your household. Yeah. yeah.
9: You, Absolutely. He just sat down in front of the telly and made a watch. <laughs>
1: no, no. Your yeah, dinner's ready, and by the way. A soccer game on, kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, so what's next after quarantine? What happens with Tom and the football ferns?
9: Well, I'm not sure because I'm I'm stepping down from the the role after after these Olympics. So, um, come the end of the month, uh, oh. I will be um, leaving the building. Uh, you know, it's uh, it was an interesting. It was been a nine-month job that's ended up being two years and nine months. So yeah. uh, it's, uh, I think, you know, the the organisation in particular needs to start looking sort of longer term uh, into to what they do with the firm's position and what they do with, um, you know, generally football in New Zealand because it's uh, it's becoming much much more challenging for countries like New Zealand to try and stay uh, competitive. When, um, when you see the things that are happening, particularly in Europe.
1: Yeah. Right, okay. Interesting. Um, so did you want to elaborate on some of the things that New Zealand is working on and there are other challenges?
9: Um, the, well, the challenges are they're slightly similar to um, what's happened in Australia over the last seven or eight years when the elite development programs have basically disintegrated um, and, and elite development's been put Generally, in the hands of the club, and in clubs, and in, in women's football, particularly in a country like New Zealand, uh, club football is not at the level to be able to produce international players. Mm. So, you, so you have you have that that challenge. Then you have the, the you know the geographical challenge of where New Zealand is. You have the challenge of it's a small country population-wise, um, and you have a challenge at anything that you do, even you know. Um, qualifying through the island countries is quite expensive so yep. so there's a you know it's a whole range of challenges but uh, I, I think the key one is that you know my conversations with them is that if they want to um and this is just my opinion which could be very very wrong but if they want to develop elite players and try and stay competitive they need to start looking at putting serious programs in place from under 14 upwards simplistically as a sort of very simplistic answer to a, complicated, a bit like, slightly more complicated
3: problem.
1: So I hear that there's a position over in Western Australia. There's a team looking for a coach in the Australian Women's Masters Games that are happening in October, Tom. And <laughs> I, I reckon the position could be filled by you. What do you reckon?
9: It's hard enough uh, <laughs> managing younger players as opposed to managing. So I don't want to start managing a bunch of experts. <laughs>
1: senior, whatever, that was a very
9: like, polite way t- to say no <laughs> that, would, that would be too challenging for me
1: See I don't think out of all the gigs that you've filled Tom That you've actually gone into either the World what? University space Or the Masters space And some of those spaces are massive The World Masters games and the World University games Are absolutely massive gigs
3: Yeah
9: I know It's um Look <laughs> It would, be, it would be interesting, shall we say? But, um, I'm I not sure you I'll get the same uh,
1: remuneration as yeah, you. That's, that's what months. I was just wondering about. <laughs> you might have to pay yeah, your own airfare, yeah. you, right, Tom?
9: <laughs> probably got probably get a bit more to drink, though. Um.
1: <laughs> but Just saying, if you've got some space around that, Tom, there's probably a few teams out your way, Sydney way, that... Uh, Probably listening to the program, I might go. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we I go. know the hotel he's in yet. What's no, your I, I, phone ringing yet? I actually
9: <laughs> do. I actually do a bit, a little bit, occasionally with Mossman over thirty-five men who are mainly over forty-five. So, mm. so that's uh, that's that's my contribution to the elderly.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. It's it's good. So you're going to have a bit of a break at at, uh, at at the moment and review where you're at.
9: Yeah, kind of. I will just see what happens. I'm not in any hurry to do anything, and you know, who knows if there will be anything. So I'll just see what happens, and whatever happens happens, or whatever doesn't happen doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm not, you know, particularly uh, at the stage where I'm out, kind of desperately looking to do to do
1: something. Fair enough. Yeah, you've um, been been a um an active coach for I don't know how many decades that I've known now and uh, you've been on most of the continents. Actually, have you coached in Europe, Tom? No, I
9: haven't. No. Hmm.
1: There you go. No. So World Uni yeah. Games, World Masters Games and Europe.
2: And Europe. Okay. That's my next stop.
1: Yep. Okay. Tom,
2: <laughs> Tom if, even if you're stepping down from uh, the New Zealand role, how much of a challenge do you think it's going to be um, – uh, team teams that host or, or countries that host a World Cup often have a drama in that they're as they're automatically competing in the tournament, they don't have to go through the qualifying process. Yeah. And so yeah. while everyone else is spending four years of you know, getting battle hardened Pretty and good. getting through, yeah. you know, these guys just have nothing but friendly matches. Do you do you see that as going to be a problem for New Zealand when when the tournament yeah. rolls around?
9: I think that it's going to be sort of part of a, a sort of bigger, a, a bigger challenge. Um, I mean, sort of generically, since Australia's gone out of Oceania, sort of qualifying for major tournaments hasn't been that challenging anyway. So they haven't yep. had that that kind of competition that you get in, particularly, say, in Europe and in Asia. Um, I think that you know the bigger and the more immediate challenge is when that national team can actually get back together again because it's still a real challenge with travel. So yep. although the rest of the world has opened up, New Zealand's still in the same position as it was pre Olympics where all the staff are based in New Zealand, uh some players are based in New Zealand. So to actually get games in in different parts of the world is, is very difficult. You can actually get you can kinda get there, but getting back <laughs> <laughs> it's a real challenge. So so I think that the most immediate challenge for um, New Zealand is is finding out when they can actually play again and when they can get together, and then you know aligned with that is sort of given the opportunity to actually look at some young up and coming players. You know, for me, the, the probably the biggest um, issue over the last sixteen or seventeen months when I couldn't get the team together was you had no chance to look at any young developing players or give them any opportunities to yeah. come into the team. So, if the shutdown continues for another seven or eight months, you, you've almost lost two years yeah. of national team development, <clears throat> and and that's probably <laughs> that's the number one challenge for the for the new incoming coach.
1: What's the style of the New Zealand team? Does it have a style like it? I mean, it's
9: yeah. a good question. No, it, so it was kind of like. I can refer it back to probably when I went back into the Australian job in two thousand and five, when Australia were a competitive team, a team that people knew they were going to be tough to play against, but a team that wasn't really considered a major threat. Mm. and And we had to change that, particularly when we moved into Asia, I and mean, we had to look at our development, the type of players we we brought in, the type of style of play that we started to develop. Um, which kind of continues today. So for New Zealand hasn't quite reached that stage yet. They're still at that stage where they are that team that's that's going to be competitive, that's going to be well organised, that's going to work hard. And um, what what they don't have and what they need to start to develop is some players that start becoming um, key key players in a football sense. You know whether that's creative players, goal scorers, or whatever, and then be able to refine the style of play, to be one that goes from being competitive to trying, having enough weapons to win games.
1: What about the men's style of football in New Zealand? I don't know if you caught any of their games. I must admit, I I did not. But how do you think they're travelling?
9: Much, much better. So the men's game has benefited from a couple of things. The men's game has benefited from Wellington Phoenix being in the A-League. Hugely benefited from that. Mm. And then off the back of that, two or three really serious development um, programs, indiv- yeah, like the Phoenix program and a couple of other individual-based uh, development programs have cropped up. So in the men's space, they've actually started to produce some really good, talented young players. And and most of the, you know, a big chunk of their players are either and young players in the A-League or they're playing overseas professionally. So the, the men's space in New Zealand is a... Is a in a much better position than the women's space at this particular moment in time. Um, but again, they still face the same challenges now. Trying to get international competition leading into the next Men's World Cup is, is really difficult because they've got so many players and staff they need to bring from New Zealand um, and other players scattered all over the world. So, so that's another ongoing challenge for them.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, by the way... Uh, I hear or read that Rebecca Stott, who'd been going through a bit of a tough time... Yes. Um, ..has come out on the other side of that. Um, yes. With positive news, so that's great.
9: Great news. You know, I'd, um, I spoke to her... Well, I speak to her quite frequently, but I spoke to her... She me. It's probably about... I lost track of time. It's probably about seven weeks ago now. Eight weeks. So she had to go through six sets of, of what they call hard treatment, um, which is you know, real... And hard, hard core chemotherapy um, and she phoned me just as she was going into uh, just finishing her fourth and I thought oh when she got the call I thought I've got some news and I was reading what she was going to tell me hmm. but the news was actually they told her that, that she was in remission and that if these next couple of tests come through that she won't need to get any more chemo Um and you know, she got the test and she's completely clear and she's been back on the football field. So, you know, that's that's probably the, without a doubt, the best news of the year.
1: Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent news. Well, besides the fact that Australia got higher in the Olympics this time than they did before. (laughs) Sorry, Tom.
9: (laughs) No, that's good news as well. It is, it is.
1: Yeah, you... You once described Australia's style as as being a bit of a mongrel style because it didn't really have any style, like that get in and fight, do or die kind of thing. Um, And I I note that um, Tony Gustafsson, the Matildas coach, said, um, you don't remember what someone said, you don't remember what they did, but you will definitely remember how you made them feel. And I think that's probably pretty spot on about the Matildas because they did not leave anything on the field they absolutely played to capacity and you could see on their faces uh, what it meant yeah. to get as far as they did and australia followed them for it it was great Yeah. no i think but
9: that, i mean i think that's been a trait of the matildas for for many years um you know if you look back in in world cups over the last 10 12 you know fourteen, sixteen 16 years you know they they they've always gone into the world cups with that and major tournaments with that kind of attitude and 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 been quite successful with it. So I think what they're seeing now is that the the maturity of those young players that have been in the system for ten or twelve years. I mean you look at Sam Kerr, Sam Kerr made a debut in two thousand and nine mm. that's twelve years ago. Um, you know uh Kaya Simon two thousand and eight. Tamika Butt two thousand and eight um, kinda of, uh, and several players so so what you're seeing now is is the, the sort of maturity of that team, but it, I think people forget. Matildas have, have been a competitive team for the last fifteen years. They haven't. They haven't lacked being competitive in the world stage. You know, they they did exceptionally well at the twenty fifteen World Cup. They did exceptionally well at the two thousand eleven two thousand seven World Cup. Um, so I, I think I think it's great that they're there now, but I think people um, sort of forget that the actual team has been. And and some of the great players that have been in there have been competitive, you know, Cheryl Salisbury, Di Allegch, Joey Peters, etc. Uh, Heather Garriop. There's been some really outstanding players that have been in the Matildas.
1: I think that I would have liked to have seen Lisa Devana in this Matildas team. There's no doubt. Yeah, well Davana,
9: I forgot Davana. I forgot to mention the great Lisa Devana. Look, it would have been nice to see her in that in that squad and to sort of finish her hard
3: career in
1: that way yeah yeah now before we let you go Tom we're just going to do a little bit of a, a wrap of, of local football um, mm-hmm. by the way, do you know Renee Leota she plays for northern Redbacks here but she played for the football ferns in her younger days um, and that might have been about ooh, seven or eight years ago I guess she's a striker with northern Redbacks who are uh, the only female only soccer <coughs> club here. In Western Australia, one, okay. of, one of two in Australia actually, and she does pretty good. She mm-hmm. scores goals, and yeah. Um, so my club is Mum FC, and we're going to talk about the National Premier League in West Australia. So we're coming up to Round 17, um, and Northern Redbacks and Mum are going head to head. So,
2: but oh, sorry, going head to head on the table, they're not playing this week. Yeah,
1: that's what I mean exactly. Yep, yep. good one, Pete. So Northern Redbacks <laughs> sitting on the top of the table for thirty six. Keep, keep it on
2: track, Pete. Well
1: done. Yeah. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> Uh, and Mummer on 32, so four points difference. I'm not sure if that... I've
2: got a newer... I've got a more updated table than it's you. It's 35
1: do. points because they won last night? Yeah. Yes. Okay, right. I'll just change my little notes here. Good one. Oh,
2: so, no. so um, yeah, last last night's game, the Hyundai NTC women 1-0 over Fremantle City and Murdoch University Melville over Perth Soccer Club. Penny was there, so she would know the score. Yeah,
1: Um it was three two, and I was multitasking because I was doing my research for the radio, and I was watching the uh, grand final, which is going to extra time and penalties. And I had my little um, <laughs> my little Football West YouTube streaming platform on. I had the um, Fremantle game on, yep. and I had the Mum FC and Perth Soccer Club. So I had three screens going. <laughs> That's uh, I'm loving my football at the moment, yeah, Tom. Fantastic. Yeah. A lot of things I can I can expand and explore in in the digital technology space. Yep. What else is there happening? Uh, So
2: coming up uh, tomorrow afternoon, Northern Redbacks are hosting Balcatta and Curtin Uni against Subiaco AFC. So as as Penny alluded, currently Northern Redbacks one point clear at the top of the table on 36 against 35 points, then a big gap down to Fremantle in third spot.
1: Yep. And in the State League Division One women's, UWA is sitting on top with 35 points over South West Phoenix, which is a team from Bunbury.
2: Yeah. So it's... uh, What is it, about 150-odd Ks from Perth um, down south?
1: So they have a bit of travel, Tom, to get to our Perth competition. But generally, when they're in it, they finish in the top two. So they do themselves justice every time. Tom, thanks very much for joining us. And do remember those uh, coaching gigs that are still open in the October space? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
9: Let, me know the, let me know the interview process and I'll put an application
1: in. Uh, okay, hang on. I just looked at it. You're in. You're just being appointed.
9: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to do any psychometric testing then. No, okay. no, That's no,
1: it's, it's all good. Beer's waiting. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Really do appreciate you joining us and hope we'll catch up again Later. soon and talk more football. Thanks, Tom. So
2: good. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Pete.
1: Catch
2: See it. ya. Bye. So, so um just just on the Sam Kerr backflip thing, I was yep. trying to I was um trying to remember uh, Miroslav Klose for Germany always would do a backflip when he scored. And then in the twenty uh twenty fourteen World Cup in Brazil, I remember he was getting old. He was I think he was about thirty four <laughs> at the time. He scored, he did a backflip, and he only just made it. He sort of, I think he wound up sitting on his butt. And I noticed after that he scored a couple more goals, including the 7-1 against Brazil. He didn't do any more backflips. So whether Sam's sort of been like, I mean, she's 27 now, whether she's like, I'm not going to risk the backflips.
1: How how old was Closer?
2: I think 34 at the time.
1: Hmm. There was a few veteran, not veteran, no, (gasps) bad word. There were a few older-aged players across the women's Olympics teams. Yep. And I know that it was, uh, was it 24? I think they changed the age to in the men's. It was 24. Yeah, so, the, so yeah. it's
2: normally under 23s, but because everything got delayed a year, they said 24. Yeah. So it's the same players can still play.
1: Yep, and some of the senior players that were playing
2: yep. added...
1: added uh, great um, flavour to the teams yeah. like the Egyptian goalkeeper yeah. he was oh, he was. Uh,
2: unfortunately he was so outstanding against Australia but yeah no he was credit where credit's due he was brilliant interestingly yeah. Australia only put the one only had the one overage player who was uh, Duke Mitch Duke um, yeah. that and was
1: Arnold's belief in the youth
2: yeah th- so that was good and interestingly also on the subject of Egypt um, Mo Salah wanted to go to the Olympics but Liverpool wouldn't let him
1: oh what so, a difference he would have made yeah because I think it was um, Spain that Egypt played and – was it Spain or Mexico? I can't remember that they played and that put paid – think pretty sure it was Spain actually – put paid to Egypt. But um, the left winger, I mm. think it was the captain for Egypt, and the goalkeeper were outstanding. Love watching them play. Yep. Beautiful style of play. There was, there's been some great football. Uh, I'm going to remember the Olympics for uh, the camaraderie and the technology. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, there's just, everyone's been able to have access to it, which is fantastic. Yep. Loving it. Uh, next up is Len and Bag's Groove and the Jazz Show. Pete, it's been great chatting football with you for the past two hours. it been and fantastic. Stay safe and don't break anything, especially your voice, when you're climbing Mount Cook. Whenever you're climbing <laughs> Mount Cook, you're a crazy man to do it in winter. I, I don't know what that's, that's about. That's
2: the best time of year to go climbing, <laughs> isn't it?
1: You know, the weatherman is not always right, and it does snow down that way.
2: It's, you're, you're thinking of um, Bluff Knoll. No, no. Mount Cook's only 45 minutes out of Perth.
1: Oh, I'm thinking Stirling Rangers. Yeah, no, no, no. No.
2: Darling Rangers.
1: Oh, far out. Yeah, it's, a, it's out. a hike up the Bibbulmun track. A it's all good. Oh, yeah. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Just come back safe. Yeah, because you're on the show again in a few weeks. You know. Yeah, I will be. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. It's been great having more football chats. I'm back again hosting next week and that's because Sean did three gigs while I was doing soccer stuff on Saturday morning. So yep. thanks, Sean and team. But uh, one more week and Hugh and myself will be in next week and then Sean's back. Thanks, everyone. See you later.